Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. So this is the good stuff. Oh yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. We're your host over there is the two frames. Howdy. Mr. Ryan Bull on the L train, Richard Lusk, and this is one of our top ten movie episodes. We're gonna do ten through six this week, I think. Mm-hmm. These are one of my, these are, these list episodes are some of my favorite episodes that we do on Laugh, the Laugh podcast. Yeah, you've been jumping at the, or chomping at the bit, not jumping at the bit. Jumping and chopping. To uh, do this list uh, for the best films of 2015, best films that came out in 2015, right? That's how we're defining this? Yes, because I actually had to leave some off my list that came out in 2014 that I didn't see until this year, which helped me because they were hovering around that mm-hmm. uh, 10 marker range. And I'll talk about those a little bit more later. We're only going to do the first half because we have a special guest coming into the show for the next half. He really wanted to give us his list. So uh, we're going to allow that to happen, I think. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Two Frames and I, well, I braved the snow, the the, the blizzard, to come over here and uh, share with you our top 10 films of 2015. I would like to know first how you arrived at your list. Um, I tried to figure out what films really resonated with me, what films created a a wonderful viewing experience. I think all but one of these films I saw in the theaters. And if I could have seen that final film in the theaters, I think it would have only made it grow in my estimation. So, I, you know, I was looking for that. I was looking for things that were fun, that were varied. You know, it didn't just have to be a prestige film. It could be action. It could be comedy, even horror. Mm-hmm. You know, just looking for films that were a lot of fun and gave me an experience I hadn't had before. So that was what I was looking for. What about for you? I think I was, I leaned towards movies that surprised me in some way. And then these just really are my favorite movies. Um, It was hard for me to list them. I think the top three, I struggle with the top three. I struggled with the bottom three or four. Or you know, I had to leave a couple off that I would have liked putting on there. But um, for the most part, there were movies that surprised me or in some way moved me. Because I'm not normally moved emotionally in movies. I'm stoic and removed from characters and situations. So that that might have been some of the surprise okay. if, if, a, if a movie moved me. Are these remote way. stopper movies? If you're flipping through the channels and you hit one of these movies, you're stopping? I think for all of them, that's the case. But I think that's generally going to be the case with my top movies anyway. Uh, some One of the movies in particular, though, is it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm. So, And I'll talk about that when I get to it. But uh, <coughs> entertainment and intrigue are two different concepts. And I guess I sort of leaned a little bit more towards the movies that intrigued me rather than entertained me. Well, they could entertain me in a different way. Oh, well, it's interesting you say that. Because I'll break the ice here and say, number 10 was one of the most entertaining films I saw in theaters this year. It was also the best comedy of the year, in my estimation. Of course, I'm talking about Jurassic World in the number 10 <laughs> wow. spot. Uh, do we immediately start tearing up the other person's picks? <laughs> and explaining why that's such a horrible pick? Okay, one, everyone knows how much I love Jurassic Park. I went into this film thinking, how do they 
top this as a sequel, right? You know, how do you live up to the expectations that were set by the original Jurassic Park film? Instead, they went for something different. They had fun with the whole genre and the knowledge of dinosaurs and whatnot. And like I said, this is the funniest movie. I don't think I laughed more in theaters at any other film this entire year. Right, I laughed at it too. Yeah, I don't... Not with it. I don't think they were trying to make it serious. Okay. I think... I enjoyed it. Um, That's good. Chris Pratt's fabulous in this. So is Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, Colin Tavaro, the director. I kind of like him. I think he did a wonderful studio picture. This could have been horrible, but I love it. I've gone back and rewatched scenes from it. Still enjoy it quite a bit. All right. So I had to put this up at top 10. This is the ultimate popcorn movie of the year. So I you- think it even beats out Star Wars. You know, if well, you just yeah, want the mass not... appeal popcorn film, I think it deserves to make the list. It, uh, it deserves to make your list. It does <laughs> deserve to make your list. And I'm, I'm glad that you're giving it love. I am. And I'm sure no other critics are. You know but... what? It didn't finish in my top 23 of movies I saw in 2014 or 2015. because uh, So it's 24th? No, I only have up to 23 on here. Oh, oh you got <laughs> on my, my list. Up. It would finish near the bottom. For me. Yeah. I had a horrible experience with that movie, but I'm glad you liked it. All right. All right. So number 10 for me, Jurassic World. What what do you have at the 10 spot? Well, this is a movie, like I said earlier, that was, it's going to be hard for me to watch again. It's a, it's, it's very different from your movie, although it involves, uh, well, I guess it's audacious in in the sense of uh, the story that it's trying to tell. This is Netflix's, original movie that was only released in theaters because it, they thought it might get some awards consideration and uh, sadly it was I think it was shut out for the most part of any uh, Oscar nominations it's Beasts of No Nation Carrie Fukunaga's movie about the Civil War in Africa and the fierce warlord that adopts young orphans orphan children to join the gang of guerrilla soldiers this movie surprised me because there were some things that were going on in terms of cinematography that I wasn't expecting. I was expecting it to be more of a docudrama, but there were some very lyrical shots that appealed to me. And, and although it sort of called on tropes of war movies, mm-hmm. you know, with soldiers doing these horrible things, the soldiers were, you know, eight to 10 year old kids. And, the fact that it was so uh, real, even though it was sort of set in a fairy tale, made me sort of sit on the edge of my couch because I had to watch this at home. Like most people, I watched it on Netflix. It's probably not the best way to encounter that movie. But it's the only way that I could encounter it. But it was visceral and real and affecting and horrifying and mesmerizing. And it made me consider how much our existence, our personal existence, is tied to geography and providence. <coughs> So it uh, it codifies all the worst of humanity and exposes our failings and our evil impulses. So just like Idris Elba's previous film, uh, Pacific Rim. Yes, a lot right. like Pacific Rim. Only tonally very different. He's the leader instead of robots. It's so just he's children. He's right? Typecan. <laughs> Does no, he say at some point in the film that he's canceling the I apocalypse? I don't think he's evil in uh, Pacific Rim. No, but he does have that uh, godlike status for these kids. 
there's a key scene where the kids line up in front of him and he touches them on the head and says, I saved you, I saved you, I saved you, I saved you, which could mean to the kids that he's their God and that he saves, that he saved them from sure certain death by other forces. Mm-hmm. But to me, I just saw it as for this, for right now, I'm touching you with my hand instead of touching you with a bullet. And that's how I saved you. And it's that tension between the motivations of that guy and the real effect that it has on children. It's really hard because we live in the modern world and this is a snapshot of it. And it, this is like we talk, uh, you know, you talk about modern dystopias or dystopia and sci-fi. This is the probably the worst dystopia that you can imagine near the top of the worst dystopians you can imagine. And and there are a lot of people that are experiencing it right now. Mm -hmm. So it's a very real movie and raw. And I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, (laughs) but I could because it's on Netflix. You mentioned a lot of the movies you saw were in, in theaters. I saw, I would say four or five of these on TV and I could only see them on TV. That was one of them. So that's my number 10 pick. Peace of No Nation. Um, my number nine pick is a film I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to go see on the big screen. In fact, we found it was only up for one weekend around here, and there was one showtime for the Saturday we went to go see it. This is Trumbo. Oh, um, yeah. The story of Dalton Trumbo, um, the famous screenplay writer whom my dog is named after. Dalton Trumbo was famously blacklisted from Hollywood because... He had some loose affiliations and ties to the Communist Party, supposedly. Loose affiliations and ties. <laughs> yeah. He was a devout Trotskyite. Devout? No, I mean, he was explored. No, Stalinist. Sorry. Stalinist. He was a devout Stalinist. Our, uh, we don't need to revisit yeah, that argument. Sorry. But what I like is... I think you intentionally picked these two movies up because we were so split on them. But that's fine. No, I, I, well, I mean, you know, I, I have big feelings about Dalton Trumbo, right. and, and I love that he stood for, you have a freedom of speech in this country, and one of the things that makes our country great is that we don't have to agree. Uh, also, for me, liberty and freedom is defined by how much do you allow people to be stupid, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, to, and basically, we think people are stupid when they do something we don't agree with, right? Mm-hmm. That's what he's fighting for, you know, and just... I should be entitled to my thoughts and my opinions. He's fighting for your right to be stupid <laughs> with your picks. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it was a softball. Uh, Brian Cranston stars as Dalton Trumbo. He gave a, a great performance. He's nominated for best actor mm-hmm. for the film. He chews up the scenery with just fantastic lines. At one point, Louis CK is just so visibly frustrated with him. He says to him, do you have to say everything like it's going to be chiseled into a rock? And I was just laughing. There are so many lines like that throughout the film. No, you know what it is? I don't trust you. Well, I'd say go on, but I'm afraid you will. Look, I know what I am, okay? I want this whole country to be different, top to bottom. If I get what I want, nobody gets their own lake. Well, that would be a very dull life. Yeah, for you. Not for the guys who built this. If I'm wrong, tell me. But ever since I've known you, you talk like a radical. But you live like a rich guy. That is true. Well, I don't know that you're... I don't think you're willing to lose all of this just to do the right thing. (laughs) Well, I despise martyrdom. And I won't fight for a lost cause. So you're right. I'm not willing to lose it all. Certainly not them. But I am willing to risk it all. That's 
where the radical and the rich guy make a perfect combination. The radical may fight with the, the purity of Jesus, but the rich guy wins with the cunning of Satan. Oh. What? Just please shut up. I was laughing. You chuckled at a couple of mm. them, but tonally the film just worked for me. I really love the subject matter. I love old Hollywood. I love screenplay writers and seeing the struggles that they go through to get their films made. So, you know, everything about this film really worked for me. We reviewed it. Number 23 on my list. Number 23? Yeah. Wow. So we're making solid improvements. We're making... I've gone from almost dead last with, yeah. a pat, with a pick to uh, 23. But I, I wish Trumbo had hit a broader audience. Hopefully the movie will be re-released and people can catch up with it. Because I really hope Brian Cranston wins Best Actor for this performance. I think it was the best acting performance by a male this year. Probably Vegas odds the least likely. The least likely to win an actor. Which is oh, probably wow. why I'm so big on it. <laughs> I love the underdog. So. Yeah, I'd say it's probably coming in sixty to one. All right, so but that's my ninth pick. Uh, uh, it it fits you. <laughs> it fits you. It wasn't a horrible movie. I didn't I didn't have a also, horrible time with it. It has John Goodman in it. John Goodman's best performance this year, and I thought he he stole the show. But he's a capitalist. He's a true <laughs> capitalist. In a movie about Stalinists and communists, John Goodman is the only hero. <laughs> The true capitalist that stands out and saves Trumbo's whole entire family. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. All right. So what's your number nine? Number nine on my list is also a movie that we I had to see on television. I had to rent it on uh, DirecTV. It came, I don't think it came in the theaters around here. It was released initially last year in January 2015. Uh, we reviewed it on Laugh 74, and it's the movie Cop Car. Two mischievous boys, Travis and Harrison, stumble upon a seemingly abandoned police cruiser and steal it, which is what kids do when they encounter (laughs) cars, cop cop cars. They steal it. They're unaware of the secret importance that the car has for its murderous owner, Sheriff, uh, probably John Kretzer. If it's not John Kretzer, it probably should be. Uh, Played by Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon's finest role. His hair, anyway. His facial hair, his mustache. Got a special uh, award or uh, a special recognition for a Laffy Award for facial hair. It's a good 70s stash. I love this movie because of its high points. So it's not a perfect movie in any way. It fits right here at number nine. And it was it's a pretty solid film, though, because of Kevin Bacon's performance. He embodies all the characteristics of a small town sheriff who hubristically thinks he's a lot bigger than what he is. He, someone who he, I, I love the way he plays the role of someone who claims to be in control while his life is spinning off the rails, you know, spinning out of control. The movie could have been tighter, but I had a lot of fun with it. I had a lot of fun with his themes. I didn't like the ending necessarily, but the middle section was really tense. I had one of the, the best scenes of the year from my estimation with the sort of a spoileristic character that comes in. You can see it now on iTunes. You can rent it for $2.99. I'm surprised it's not streaming. Eventually it will be. It's a pretty good pick, though. I think you should check it out. Mm -hmm. It's my number nine pick of the year. 
I think you liked it. I liked it. It was fine. It was 41 for me, <laughs> so it's in the top third of uh, 2015 films I saw. Okay. So uh, it, it was fine. I wasn't as big on it as you were. Uh, there are a couple really good scenes, but I also felt it dragged at times. So not bad. Um, number eight for me is a documentary. In fact, it was the best documentary of last year. I'm speaking about Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of canon oh, films. Yes. Uh, like I said with the previous pick, I really love... Uh, the history of Hollywood and, you know, the behind the scenes stuff and Canon films is responsible for putting out many direct to video films of the eighties. They put out some stuff that went to theaters like over the top, the Sylvester Stallone arm wrestling film. Saw that in the theater. Uh, what else did they do? Uh, masters of the universe. Saw that in the theater. Yeah, they did the death wish films, except for the first one. They, they, they do Charles death Bronson? wish. Yeah. Two through seven, I think. So, Canon Films was bought out in the 70s by these two Israeli businessmen. And this guy, uh, Menachem Gollum, he was famous over in Israel. He made their highest grossing film, most seen film, uh, uh, Lemon Popsicle, which is like this coming of age, kind of American Pie, Porky's type film Mm -hmm. that later on gets remade by Canon Films as the last... uh, the last um, American story, uh, love story, great film, or I'm sorry, last American version, love story, something else, last American version, <laughs> fantastic film, especially the ending. It's one of the funniest endings to a film. You laugh at how sad these characters are uh, in last American version. Oh, okay. I, I don't want to ruin it. It's spoiler. Electric I mean, I know Boogaloo. you've had since 1982, the crazy stories about how these films got made are fantastic. And these were all films that I went and rented as a kid because i mean i grew up in the age of blockbuster and thought why aren't there more films like this you know you go see jean-claude van damme in blood sports and you're like why can't we have more films like this well this movie explains or this documentary explains why that didn't happen and just how they did so many of these low budget slot schlocky films i love it i love when they dig in deep uh i think before i've talked about my love of friday the 13th and how I spent a whole weekend watching the 400-minute-long documentary, Crystal Lake Memories. Uh, it's just, this is what I get into. All so, right. I, I love this. I know I've tried showing you clips of this film, and it doesn't seem to work for you nearly eh. as well. No, not really. But, but That's I, fine, because yeah. that's your list. I, I love it, and I just love that some of these films are getting revisited, and their histories are being told. So Fair enough. That's my number eight pick. Electric Boogaloo. The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Excellent. All right, number eight. We're up to number eight. This is the first movie uh, on my list that I saw in that theater. And I had to travel two and a half hours to see it with you. Uh, It's appropriately placed at this slot. I think it might show up on your list somewhere. This is The Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's latest entry into, uh, or latest entry into his own canon, I guess. It's his own kind of thing. We talked a lot about this movie recently on Laugh 109. Tarantino movies always seem to figure into the best movies of the year, and I'm not surprised that it made my list. I'm still struggling with this movie, though, because I think the best parts of it are slightly less impressive than the best parts of his other movies. But maybe the movie as a whole has kind of stuck with me. Like, the humor for me wasn't as effective as the humor in Django, and the tension wasn't as as effective as Inglorious Bastards. The dialogue and pacing weren't as effective as Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown. 
the flourishes were sort of distracting and not as fully integrated as the rest of the film, uh, as say like uh, in Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. But then when you put them all together, those parts sort of, I don't know, make it a top ten film for me. No offense, cowboy fella. Just getting your attention. Yeah, well. You got it. What you writing, friend? Only if you don't qualify to write about. What's that? My life story. You're writing your life story. You bet I am. Am I in it? You just entered. When I compare it to the other films I've seen this year, I, I know it deserves to be here in the top 10. What surprises me, it doesn't surprise me, because I made this recommendation, or I made this uh, prediction. Uh, I thought that the controversy surrounding it would create problems for Weinstein Group when it came around to awards time. And people are finally happy to be off of the Tarantino wagon. And they only got two nominations. Uh and it's been decline. His star has been fading in Hollywood. I think over the years, Inglorious Bastards, which is a similar rating, critically, was a eight point three uh, on IMDb and a sixty nine Metacritic, which is almost exactly like uh, this last movie, Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Got six nominations, which is the most he's gotten for a film, right? Yeah, uh, I don't know, but Pulp Fiction won. Pulp Fiction won. Uh, best picture, right? No, it won the Palme d'Or. Oh, I can. can, but I think it was up for best picture and up for some a- acting awards and screenplay yeah, awards. It, I'm surprised probably. that this movie didn't fit in that screenplay director. Maybe not best picture, but it's definitely a better picture than some of the movies that are on that list. I've seen pretty much all the movies that were best picture movies, and I think part of the reason they backed away from it is because of the controversy surrounding Tarantino in general. Same thing that Weinstein was scared about. Tarantino, I don't think, makes his films to win awards. I think he makes his films to appeal to the audience that likes him. He probably makes the films for himself. Yeah. The music was composed by Ennio Morricone. Maybe you're going to have more to say about it later. I don't know, so I should stop talking. So that was my number eight on the list. Okay. Solid pick. Uh, my number seven, we start getting into the the serious picks. I know I've seen you rolling your eyes at my last three, but... (laughs) I don't know. I had to bring my own special brand of what I love of movies. Uh, number seven, I can recognize it for its incredible accomplishment for what it achieved. Uh, the Revenant is the film I'm talking about oh. with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy. This is directed by last year's Best Director and Best Picture winner Alejandro Gonzalez and Aritu. He mm-hmm. won last year for Birdman. This film was done using all natural light, on location, freezing cold temperatures. And it tells a, a fantastic story, has one of the best action sequences of the year, maybe in the last decade. Um, I think we'll probably be talking about that more on subsequent podcasts. Uh, acting solid. It does get a little slow in the middle. There's some dream sequences that I feel could have been cut. But overall, this is an achievement in filmmaking. And this is really showing what can you do, uh, what types of stories can you tell. I also think that for a movie that was, you know, really just filmed with what's in front of the lens, it's impressive that this was nominated for Best Visual Effects, you know, up there with your Star Wars and The Martian and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So this really is an achievement in cinema. 
Uh, I'm not as big on Leo as you. I don't think he should win Best Actor for this because he doesn't do a whole lot of acting. But yeah, I thought Tom Hardy. I think this is arguably Tom Hardy's best picture of the year, and in a year where he did, I think, five different films. Yeah. This, this is pretty impressive work. So I'm sure The Revenant will come up on your list. So yeah, I, I it's on my list. It. I was thinking today about the narrative surrounding it is about the the what a difficult shoot it was and the crew members that left. I think there was some controversy surrounding the conditions that they were under while they were filming. But now that it's out and now that it's being recognized as one of the top films, I wonder how those crew members feel. <laughs> like, I wonder if they're you know, regretting their decision to leave because it was a little cold, a little wet, and they didn't really see where this guy was headed. Now, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, I got to imagine a little bit of chagrin on the part of a, you know, oh. a, a grip or a camera operator, or, you know, craft services. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is not fun. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go home. Well, and pretty much every director has one of, every great director has one of these just horrible filmmaking experiences. You know, the film that just would not end, whether it's uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Apocalypse Now or for Steven Spielberg, it's Jaws. You know, everyone had one of these just grueling shoots, but in the end, it made him a better director, and we get a wonderful work of art out of it. Inurita says it's a one-off, though. He's not trying to do anything like this again, he says. <laughs> so, I don't blame him. No, I don't either. So, uh, Revenant, number seven for me. That was seven or eight? Seven. Oh, you started it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, my number seven now. We're all the way up to me. <laughs> yeah. I thought I started the whole thing. My number seven is a movie that I picked because it had a strange effect on me emotionally. And I was surprised. I was, like I said, very surprised by this. Uh, I told you about it. You went and saw it with your wife. You guys weren't as high on it as I was. A lot of critics are sort of, you know, a little bit less enthralled with it because they see it as sort of derivative. Mm Mm-hmm. It was the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance last year and uh, Festival Award audience winner at Sundance. It's the, I think it's one of the very few movies that got the Grand Jury and the film, uh, the audience award. But it's Alfonso Gomez Rejon's Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. It's about an awkward high school teenager played by Thomas Mann and his gravely ill classmate played by Olivia Cook who surprise themselves by becoming inseparable friends, BFFs, so to speak. And for a long time, I thought this movie had an effect on me or was resonated with me because of the girl. But the more that I think about it, and the more that I revisit it, I think it's, I think it's now because of Greg. And I think it's because the movie, movie focused on Greg, who might not be the most interesting character overall. And that's a drawback a lot of people, a lot of critics I've heard of have with the movie is its focus on the least interesting character. But to me, Greg is, I'm not sure that he's as much like me as I think he is, or that I'm as much like him as I think maybe. I'm not really sure that even if he is, that it's a good thing. But the character is someone who has to move through a world that he can't really connect with. And he has to make, he has to do tricks Mm -hmm. to sort of fit into an unforgiving world. Some people make their bed and they have to lie in it, but the character of Greg has to, he's the type of guy that has to lay in a bed that's been made by someone else. Mom, what are you doing? 
Okay, Mom, listen, she doesn't want to see me. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you, Gregory, you that you do not have a choice in this particular Mom, matter. Please, let me you have been given an opportunity oh my God, please, to make just a very real difference thing, in Mom. someone's life. And if Jeez. what you're choosing instead of that is to lie around you know, the house all day like a dead me. slug, then I will be required to step in Mom, we're not and even inform friends. you that that is 100% oh unacceptable. Your non-stop stream of words is making me freak out. And if you out. think that all these excuses you're making are in any way better or more important than the happiness of a girl with cancer, a friend with cancer. You are sadly mistaken, my friend. You are going to pick up that phone. You are going to call Rachel again. Although Olivia Cook's Rachel generates more pathos for me, mm-hmm. because of the movie's focus on Greg, I found it created a tremendous amount of empathy in me. I think initially the movie, the movie moved me because of Rachel, the dying girl and her journey, but now I realize it's due to my connection to Greg. Like I said, critics find it slight and derivative, but they're wrong. I disagree with them. <laughs> I recently recommended it to friend of the show, Nicole C., who watched it with her daughter, and she texted me yesterday and told me, I hate you for making me watch that movie. I cried like a baby. <laughs> so if that's a good recommendation uh, for a movie, then I think people should go watch it. Made my number seven, top list of the years, and we reviewed it on Laugh 61. It's available for digital purchase and rental now. Uh, I think it's a strong pick. I had it at number 14. It was right outside my top 10. Ooh, surprised and- you had that high. No, I, I I enjoyed it. Uh, I think more than you're giving me credit for. My wife did not care for it. Oh uh, yeah. Um, and I think I also felt safer moving it out of my top ten because I was almost a hundred percent certain you would have it in there. It does need some recognition. I think it's a good movie to go watch. And technically, it's doing a lot of interesting stuff that I think even a lay person can pick up on. You know that there's some interesting camera work and stuff going on there. Be so cool to it, show in film class. Yeah, it, it's a good starter film, I think, for a film class, which is why I like it. Um, and that's also what I liked about my number six pick, The Gift. Ah, uh, Joel this, Egerton. Yeah, directed by Joel Egerton, who I think is one of Hollywood's most underrated actors. Uh, he really uh, piqued my interest back when I saw The Great Gatsby. He plays Tom Buchanan in that film. Mm-hmm. And I think he just completely blows Leonardo DiCaprio out of the water at the end of that film. Uh, he's also been in some other fantastic films like Warrior with Tom Hardy and Animal Kingdom, an Australian film that I've been pushing you uh, to have a do a review of. I think Animal Kingdom oh, is one okay. of the best films in the last 10 years. Modern classic? Yeah. All right, that um, might come up here. Joel Edgerton is uh first time director in this film, The Gift, which also stars Jason Bakeman and Rebecca Hall as a fairly newlywed couple who have just moved back home to Jason Bakeman's hometown. And they run into uh, Bateman's old classmate, played by Joel Edgerton, who's kind of a creep. This is one of those just uh, tension-filled films. I'm really sorry. Um, that's an urgent work thing. I'm gonna have to step out for a couple of minutes, but it's not gonna take me long. I'm gonna literally be less than five minutes, less than that. Can you just just relax, have a drink? I'll be back as soon as I can. Sorry. Gordo? Did he just leave us here? Yeah, Yeah. I think he did. He's leaving us alone in his house. He doesn't even know us. Yeah, well. Maybe it's an emergency. 
Well, you did say it was an urgent work thing. What, what, what is it? Uh, I've had a couple students watch it, and they've really enjoyed it. Uh, if you've watched movies like Your Rear Windows, um, Single White Female, uh, even stuff like The Fugitive, just where you have a lot of tension, suspense, this movie is aware of all those tropes and is able to do new and inventive things. And I also like characters that you think you like at the beginning of the film. You may not necessarily like later on in the film, and then you may go back to liking them. No one is 100% good. No one is 100% bad in this film. So it's a great film, I think, to go watch and then have a drink with someone and discuss afterwards. Go back and revisit and really tear into the film. And all films have flaws, and I'm sure you can find some loose strands to kind of pull apart the plot. But overall... There's a whole lot to discuss and argue about, and I'm very excited to see what Joel Edgerton does next as a director. I think, you know, in the next 15, 20 years, we're going to look back and say, this guy's kind of like, you're Robert Redford, Ben Affleck, an actor who is also a wonderful director and has made many, many great films. So that's, that's my pick, the in, gift. <laughs> sorry, looking forward to seeing him <coughs> in Jane Got a Gun. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll be fantastic in Jane Got Again. Like I said, I think he is one of the most underrated actors in Hollywood. Um, I probably put him up there in the same spot that you put Tom Hardy at. Oh, all right. So, High praise. Yeah, I'm not sure I've seen a bad movie with Joel Egerton. I, I'm I'm struggling to find a bad movie. Even that uh, Moses film with uh, uh, Batman in it. He was fantastic as Mo- or, or as Pharaoh. That is a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, you're Exodus. right. That is a bad. That's movie. That's a bad movie, but I thought he's fantastic as Pharaoh. Uh, I liked Rebecca Hall in this and Jason Bateman too. I, I don't know where it fit on my. It must not be in the top twenty-three, but uh, it was definitely a good pick. It's a good movie. I enjoyed watching it. We when we reviewed it earlier in the year, so uh, I said a lot about it then. I think positively. Mm-hmm. Can't think of anything bad to say about it. And again, I think it would be a great film to show a film class. Because um, there's a lot of you know camera work that's being done, a whole lot of character development throughout the film. And I don't mind spoiling this. The dog doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So see, clearly he understands expectations and subverts <laughs> them. Right. Which is pretty good. Uh, do you have a number six pick for us? Yes, I do. This is the final pick of the show. All right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this movie... Again, took me by surprise. I had to see it on TV. It was a rental for DirecTV. Uh, and I, it came up, Michael Fassbender, starring in Slow West. I thought, oh my God, there's Michael Fassbender in a new uh, Western, modern, you know, Western. And uh, let me check this out, see what it's all about. He stars as Silas Silic, or Selick, sorry, Bounty Hunter. But he's not the main star of the show. The main star of the show is this uh, Scottish kid named jay cavendish who travels to america to redeem himself and his lost love find his lost love in uh 1800s colorado meets up with this silas Selleck character played by fassbender and uh that guy sort of becomes his mentor bodyguard protector friend uh I, i loved this movie it's it almost made my top five, so it's teetering right there on the edge. I'm kind of surprised it didn't. There's another western up there. <laughs> so uh, in a in a year of wonderful westerns, I think there are four on my top ten. This was uh, the 
probably the most surprising. And it's a shame that we couldn't see it in the theater. I couldn't see it in the theater. The experience would have made it so much probably better and richer. So I need to get rich so that I can have my own movie theater so I can watch this. One of the key performances in this movie, one of the reasons I really like it, was Ben Mendelsohn, who was in that movie Animal Kingdom Mm -hmm. that you mentioned. Uh, He's in the supporting role as Payne, the leader of Selleck's old gang. He wears this ridiculous fur coat that acts as an extension of the character and points at his self-importance, sort of like uh, Brando's leather coat in The Wild One. Or I thought about Barbara Stanwyck's Angora sweater in uh, Double Indemnity. And those little details that sort of draw attention to the character and establish the character in a unique way are the little things in the film that sort of set it apart from other movies. Uh, one of the things I like, uh, Jake Cavendish, he doesn't have a hat, which is a key symbol in Western movies. We were, we recently did in our film class the Western genre. And I like breaking down the different symbols and meanings of symbols. And this is a movie, a good movie. This would be a good movie to take apart to look at. There's, I think it made a nomination for visual metaphor of the year. But just the idea that the main villain is named Payne sort of gives you an indication of where it's headed. Not all critics really like this movie. Audiences did, though. Godfrey Cheshire, writing for RogerEbert.com, said Slow West must be counted on as one of, or must be counted, one of the most unintentionally ridiculous westerns to come down the pike in a long, long time. From first to last, this tale of a hard-boiled bounty hunter helping a Scottish lad on his quest to find the woman he loves who's on the lamb in the Old West is a tissue of creaky contrivances and outright absurdities. The reason I included this review is because it highlights why I think he's wrong. He's missing all the key points of it as being a fairy tale or an allegory. And he misses the allegorical aspects. It's not grounded in reality, although it has a sense of humor and appropriate level of pathos and metaphor, but it doesn't need to be grounded in reality. It exists on a different level. We reviewed it back in uh, on May 8th with Laugh 42, and it's on Amazon Prime Instant right now. So it's my number six pick the top of our top ten. Slow West. I like it. The only problem is now I thought I had your top five figured out, and now I gotta figure out what that fifth film is. Well, good luck. Yeah. Huh. So, yeah, I have no idea what the fifth film is now. My f- number five film. I, I I can name four of the films that are going to be in your top five. I haven't tried to figure it out with you, but my bottom five are these. Well, okay. <laughs> number ten, I had. Beasts of No Nation, Kerry Fukunaga's movie about civil war in Africa. Number nine for me was Cop Car, starring Kevin Bacon as a Sheriff Kretzer who chases after two kids that stole his car. Number eight, Hateful Eight, Quentin Tarantino's latest tome. Uh, Number seven for me was, or is, Missing. Uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Number seven for me was Me, Earl and the Dying Girl. And number six was the Western, modern Western Slow West. Very nice. Uh, my top ten, uh, starting with number ten, would be Jurassic World, followed by Trumbo in the ninth spot. The eighth spot sees Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of canon films. Moving up to seven, we have The Revenant. And then rounding it out, at number six is The Gift, directed by Joel Edgerton. Excellent. Uh, next Good week, picks. we're going to be doing our top 
uh, one through five, and we have a special guest. Do we uh, name who that guest is yet? Yeah, sure. The, I don't think we named him, but he's been on our show before. He's one of our original hosts. The Registar, Mr. Scott Lesky, is going to try to join us. Yeah, uh, last year I think he was even on uh, the Top Ten Bat then. And yeah, he had some interesting picks. Hopefully he'll give us uh, some insights of some movies that we haven't seen or maybe we haven't picked. He's an actor himself. He's starring in The Secret of Inishman or The Secret Man of Inishman or something like that. And he's in another one of those community theater cool. situations coming out. And uh, looking, forward to, looking forward to seeing that because yeah. it's not a musical. Well, in, uh, last year on the top ten, he his top pick was The Skeleton Twins. Which I had just, you know, yeah, disregarded without watching it. Uh, went back and watched it on his recommendation and really enjoyed that film. Made a good argument for so, that movie. So I'm looking forward to see uh, what he brings to the table next week. Yep. Next week we'll do uh, five through number one for our top ten movies of 2015. So, Earl. Didn't talk much about Earl in my review of, or my mention of me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. But he says in me Earl and the the dying girl I don't even know man it might be his folks I mean dude's mom always telling him how handsome he is which he ain't so now he thinks he can't trust anybody close to him dude's weird ass dad doesn't socialize with anybody except the cat so that's a role model ain't got no friends bottom line dude's terrified of calling somebody his friend so Mr. Two Frames over there it's been a pleasure have the L trade pox that boat of everybody there be dragons. It's all right that you like said the Revenant did about like fifty percent better than it really did. What? Wait a minute! It made like forty. Made thirty-eight. You said it did. I think it was like fifty-five. Is what you said. No, I said 47 or 41, because okay, I honestly thought bad. it was 47 or 41. All right. And it made 38. So 38 or 41. That Yeah, that, that, that would be closer. I thought you were up in the 50s. No, no, no. Which is fairly significant. I, I, don't, I don't like the way that you play with my memory. Because you, 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 you think that you've established yourself as having such a great memory. I have a better that, memory than you. I don't doubt that. But right. then you, you're 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 sort of using that as a superpower against me. It's my kryptonite, but it's a green kryptonite. <laughs> Why do I have to play fair or blue kryptonite? I don't really know about the different. No, I remember. Ha <laughs> ha! Well done, touche. But you could say any random thing out there, and then say that uh, you know, I think you're pretty sure you said fifty-five million. <laughs> and if I don't remember, I'd have to give you credit. But it just makes me sharper. That's all right. Just making the edge sharper. I'll be nice there. All right.